Hello, my fellow humans, and welcome. I'm going to carry on talking about uh, what I started off introducing last week. And I'm going to begin by explaining exactly what I mean by illuminating the disconnect. It became really, really obvious to me after my experience of January 11th, 2014, exactly what I feel inside what I feel felt inside prior to that date and what I have felt from that day forward. And that leads to how we fundamentally are capable of having an internal disconnect. Well, disconnect where? Between what? How? Well, I would describe it as mind versus being because we are a distinctly unique species in the way we have developed an inner mental consciousness, a self-consciousness, to a very high degree. To the point where we can be aware that we're aware. And if you add the layer of ego, we can be aware that we're aware that we're aware. And I'm sure most of you can attest that being wrapped up in thought isn't the best feeling in the world. Why? Because it fundamentally disconnects you from who you are. So who are you? Who are you if you're not thinking? Who are you when you're not thinking? Well, that's what I'll be detailing because I do have a very distinct before and after experience of it. The before experience would have been being born in a fairly pure state of consciousness. Whenever a new life comes into this world, it's a fairly clean slate. Although you can't say it's a completely clean slate because the brain is already active in the womb. It is aware on a rudimentary level of its surroundings. Of course, it's a complete feeling of surroundings because there's a direct connection within the womb to the mother. There's, you could say, a very loving connection because everything is taken care of. And then after we're born, our perspective changes. All of a sudden, there's a separation. We aren't directly connected to the life of our mother. It is quite literally severed, that connection, and we become a physical entity unto ourselves in the world. Aware. When we're born, we're quite aware of the world around us, and yet our mind hasn't developed the capacity to relate to it. Which is why, more than any other species on Earth, humans need to be cared for outside the womb, from birth, for quite an extended period of time. And that's the reason why this time and this connection serves as the foundation for the potential of what the rest of our life may feel like. It's that important. Parenting is that important. And without blame, a lot of what's happened in the human species for thousands and thousands of years, you could pretty much say, since the time when our consciousness became very highly self-conscious and then within that with a layer of ego ever since then there's been the potential for this disconnect on any degree of scales depending upon how we came into the world what awareness we were raised with and in and how active our mind became engaged and remains engaged and so what I'm going to talk about is the story of perhaps how that happened, fundamentally, at one point in human history. Now, I can't pinpoint when that happened, nor is it really very important to know 
This is something the human mind, particularly the human ego, wants to do. It's on a continual search for information. It wants to know, and it believes knowing is understanding, that understanding is good, and that that will lead to happiness or good feelings, when that's not always true. But after that experience happened in 2014, I contemplated human origins for quite a while. Now, this is different than meditation, and that's going to be a talk for another day. But what I would do would be to just sit in quiet contemplation of that notion. How did we get to be this way? And the key to contemplation and the beauty of it is that there's no expectation of an answer. In other words, I didn't sit down expecting to know something during or after contemplating it. Sometimes insights happen, and sometimes they don't. That's the nature of contemplating things. But after the experience of contemplating, there's no frustration, there's no disappointment. I was perfectly content to carry on with my life because I was perfectly content with myself in my life anyways. But I found it after contemplating this and during the contemplating of how did we get to be this way? I could picture a time when humans would have existed in the world, perhaps in the form we're in, perhaps in one step behind the form we're in, whatever that could be. And much like other life forms, there's a life, there's, there's a life form and then there's the environment and there's an innate direct connection. And that's evidenced by the fact that most species, except us on the planet, have a distinct environment. They have preferred, a preferred environment where they have the necessary provisions for life. That's food, that's shelter, that's the ability to reproduce, that's connection with their own species, that's the least amount, if possible, of potential for threats to, the, to their survival and to their enjoyment of life as they are. Now, of course, humans right now are distinctly not like that. I'm jumping ahead, but I'm going to fill in the gaps here in a minute. Right now, humans are distinct in that we can think beyond our environment and we can manipulate our environment. That's how we can live everywhere on the planet. If we couldn't think beyond our environment, we wouldn't travel to Antarctica and attempt to survive there. We wouldn't live in some remote regions and try to survive there. We can only do this because of our self-conscious mind. And our self-conscious mind is that which gives us the ability to look at the environment and rearrange it for something other than what it innately is. For example, we can look at a tree and we can dismantle the tree into pieces and we can then remanufacture the tree into something else. We can make clothing, we can make shelter, we can take food from it. We can recognize that seeds drop from a tree and germinate and sprout and instead of waiting for that process to happen, we can insert ourselves into the process by taking the seed of the tree the fruit of the tree and putting it where we like and that's called agriculture in much the same way with communication we've learned to take sounds assemble them into multiples of sounds and communicate through words instead of just communicating through direct observation and movement perhaps so our species has evolved mostly mentally for a very very long time mostly through the expansion of our mind, through the expansion of this kind of thinking, 
but how did it begin? That's something that I used to think about many years ago. I've been on this journey for 54 years in total. Distinctly, I'd say since about the age of 29, reading, studying, philosophy, biology, sociology, physics, metaphysics, anything and everything, looking for cross-reference and information that's very simple and very direct that could point to the steps that perhaps are part of the process of how we came to be human. And in reverse engineering it, through my experience of before and after, being connected through self-consciousness and being distinctly aware of what I am, containing self-consciousness but not dependent upon it, not letting it just keep on going, not, in other words, to literally not let thinking continue to happen when it isn't necessary. It isn't adding to the moment, it isn't figuring something out that's adding to my feeling of contentment in the moment. In reverse engineering it, I've gotten to a point where I can see how we had a sudden development, a sudden shift that was necessary. And something I realized along the way is that evolution doesn't happen by accident. Everything that's happened has had a reason as it direct, directly relates to survival, which is the prime motive of any species. If there's a threat, the first thing a life form does is figure out what to do. If a threat's coming at a life form, it usually tries to get away from it. If it can't get away, it tries to fight. If it can't fight, it accepts its fate. Maybe it's going to be killed. Maybe it's going to be the killer. But that's the base fundamental instinct of all life in form once it becomes in form. And that's true of a single cell right up to humans on this planet. And that could be true of any life form anywhere in the universe. I've contemplated this and I cannot fathom how it could be otherwise. Thus, I see it as a universal principle because there's very sound logic behind it. And again, in contemplating it for many, many years and then contemplating it deeply post my experience in 2014, there was a quickening of, of understanding because there was no other thoughts in my head. There was nothing else attaching any motive to wanting to know, including no desire to want to know. And that is very, very freeing and expanding to want to know something without perhaps caring that the thing is known. So to get back to the story, in reverse engineering this phenomenon, it seems to me that at some point there were humans living on the planet and then some sort of cataclysm happened. Now the humans living on the planet probably had already developed a base self-consciousness meaning. They knew how to make tools, they knew how to provide themselves rudimentary shelter against the elements, but it hadn't expanded beyond that. But I believe that the seeds of understanding that the, the environment could be used as something other than what it is were already there, but it wasn't a conscious thinking pattern just as most developments aren't, they just, they happen because they're necessary. But at some point there perhaps was a cataclysm whereby there was a drastic change in environment very quickly. And I could see that as a shift of the um, magnetic poles, a meteor hitting the planet, um, causing, you know, uh, a rapid heating or cooling, not enough to kill 
the life form that was a human at that time, but enough to have to elicit a response. And this is what evolution is at its base, is an adaptation, a very quick adaptation for survival. And so imagine that something like this happened and that this life form that was already dwelling in nature, but perhaps slightly apart from nature by virtue of the fact that it was using nature for something like clothing, like shelter. And then when this happened, that life form then had to instantaneously figure something out. In other words, the mind had to jump into action. The connections in the mind had to expand because the physical body was under attack and if left to its own devices, the physical body would have either froze to death or burned to death or not been able to breathe. So a change of environment was necessary almost immediately. And so perhaps this species started to run and run away from the perceived danger. Maybe there was cloud of smoke coming from one direction or fire and the obvious answer is run the other way. Now any species would do this but at some point perhaps the mind snapped to the thinking that wow what, what if I build shelter that can keep that at bay. Perhaps it was getting cold and the species learned how to make a fire to warm itself up. Again I don't know the exact mechanisms. I'm not sure it can ever be known. But I would be willing to bet that at some point our self-conscious mind needed to develop quickly and develop a higher self-consciousness. That just means the ability to think outside the box, to think outside of its known environment, and to adapt. And with, through that mental adaptation, we were then able to change our circumstances and survive. Now that's something I've played over and over in my mind and can I have a very deep feeling and resonance that there's something very true in that. Because what we're doing today is simply an expansion of that. So there must have been a seed of it and it must have been a spontaneous happening at some point in our distant past. Exactly when? Who knows? Does it really matter? I don't think so. Now, of course, we know there's a few layers to the human mind. Distinctly, there's our self-conscious mind, which just does what it needs to do in order to survive. That's the first order of business, is survival. That's instinctual. Every life form is granted that fundamental right. But there's a second layer to human thinking, and this is what I'm going to call ego. Even though this word has been used and perhaps has, has slightly different meanings to others, I'm going to use it and define it in this way. I'm going to say that the ego is the self-conscious mind's self-conscious mind. What that means is that our mind has had developed a self-conscious mind, so another layer of thinking in which we could stop and think about the environment outside of us and manipulate it. We could use it for something other than direct experience. Our ego, at some point, perhaps simultaneous with the development of the self-conscious mind, also learned to view ourselves 
as an idea, as, an inf as information in relation to the environment around and placed ourselves as the primary focus of importance. Because even to this day, that's what the ego does. It's the filter in our mind that says, me, me first. How's it going to affect me? What about me? What do I gain from this? And again, on a fundamental level, survival as an instinct is hardwired. All life forms have it. There's no ego in there. Every life form is allowed to defend itself as it need be in order to survive. There's no, as far as I can feel it and rationalize it, there's no morality in that. Either way, it just is what it is. But because we became proficient in thinking about the environment and developing it from that initial seed up to what we have today, think about the in-between steps. At first we would have started making things. So we make a home, we make a house, we make a hut, we make tools. And in the process of doing that, because it was for our survival, it's fundamental. But at some point, the threat to our survival subsided, was gone. And yet our mind had engaged, had engaged in a new way. And once engaged, and we know this from physics, energy tends to stay in motion unless there's a reason for it to stop. And from what I've contemplated, that's true of our mind as well, and I'm sure you can corroborate to this day. It's very hard to stop your mind. Some believe it's not possible at all, but I'll talk about how it is and can be stopped fundamentally and reduced to its self-conscious aspect and how it's very quiet when that's not necessary to have an answer from because we are safe, we are surviving, and we're okay. But... At some point, our mind would have started accumulating objects, accumulating surroundings. We would have gathered things. We would have built tools. We would have even known that I am me as a distinct entity, not just for survival, but because I made this tool. I live in this hut. And then we started defending that. And again, on a primitive level, it may have been true once upon a time prior to this, but on a new level, even though the mind, the self-conscious mind had made these things happen, now that the threat is gone, what is left over is the idea in the ego part of the self-conscious mind that I did this. Therefore, I'm entitled to it. Do you see? Because the thing that was made may not be necessary anymore. It could be made necessary, but it might not be wholly necessary. I'll give you an example from our current society. How many people here have an iPhone or an Android phone, a smartphone of any kind? Now that's a tool. Our self-conscious mind has made one heck of a lot of progress in assembling information and assembling technology in a way that can gather, store, share information. It's absolutely fascinating where we've gotten to. And that's all self-conscious mind at work, continuing to take information and recombine it, manipulate it, 
but to what end? We've gotten to the point where now most people can't imagine not using their smartphone. But is it necessary? Is it absolutely necessary? Of course not. It can't be proven that it is. The only way it seems necessary is on the level of the mind that created it, especially the ego, which takes a lot of pride, which is only an ego-based concept, takes a lot of pride in the fact that this thing has been created. But realize, everything we've created from our self-conscious mind and attached importance through this egoic mind is a relative importance. Because, let's get back to the disconnect. That inherently disconnects us from what? From our base feeling of being. Of being alive, of being allowed to survive, having the right to fight for our survival, having the right to thrive, having the right to express ourselves for who we are. But how often does that happen anymore? How often is survival actually fight or flight? Not very often. In fact, I'll guess that most of you, just like me, haven't experienced very many, if any, fight or flight moments where your existence has been mortally threatened. I haven't. The only one I experienced was me against myself in 2014 as well. And that'll be the next part of the story in the next episode. How my ego came back and uh, gave me a challenge that I didn't expect. And gave me part two of getting past the self-conscious mind, in particular the ego. But for today I want you to understand where I'm coming from. And that it's a universal thing. There's nothing special about Steve or the experience that was had. It just took contemplation, it took awareness, it took attention, it took time. And I certainly gave it time when I probably shouldn't have had the time where I was likely being irresponsible on a bit of a human level to the world around me. But for some reason, I had a deep, deep calling and feeling that this was something I was here to do and here to know and here to share. And now I know exactly what that is. It's to explain how this disconnect came about in our species, how it came about with me in my early life, the shyness, how I became fundamentally disconnected from myself through the mind, through information, through concepts and ideas. Humans are capable of all those things and they're very interesting, they're quite fantastic. But we mistake them for ourselves, as, as has been talked about by so many others in the past. But I'm shooting to get to the root of it, so that it can be explained very simply, very fundamentally, so much so that you all understand how universal this is, how close it is to us. It's not this grand achievement. I hesitate to use words that have been used to describe this experience because they don't really matter. They can turn it into something that seems mystical or otherworldly when it's not that at all. I don't even consider the process I went through and the eventual letting go in 2014 to be a spiritual experience. I actually feel it as a very fundamentally integrating human experience, realizing the wholeness of what I am, 
over and above who I am. Those are two distinctly different things. And people talking about getting to know who you are, that's been done for, for ages. But I s have always seen in my search a lack of wanting to explain what we are, which to me is actually more important. Because who you are is fundamental to you. It's, it's there with you, no matter what you do. To feel it is profound. To know it, I think everybody fundamentally knows who they are, whether or not they let themselves express it based on thoughts in the head and the world around. It varies from individual to individual. But what we are, it's the same darn thing. Through and through, which means we're all capable of knowing that. Because we carry it with us all the time, we always have. It's hardwired into what we are. And what we are is a life form, a species with a highly developed self-conscious mind, and within that mind, another self-conscious mind that gives relative self-importance to the self-conscious mind of the individual. We know this individually, and we can know it collectively. And that's where this mind has become very powerful. I'm not going to say out of control, but it's quite easily evidenced that the world around is being used by the human species through our societies, through our cultures, largely as information, which means through the mind. Because if it was through the heart, we'd be using it fundamentally through feeling. We would innately care about the bigger picture. We wouldn't do anything that would harm another life form because we would know that that would feel bad within ourselves. Now, through our mind, we can do things that cause harm to others and not feel bad ourselves. The disconnect allows that. And I'll tell you why. Because the ego can't feel. It can cause feelings in you, but it has a fundamental disconnect from feeling. All the ego is is an energetic mind within your self-conscious mind that is looking at your self-conscious mind, all the information contained therein, and relating it to you, putting you at the, at the as the focus, the primary focus, the most important aspect of the information, which means you are information to your ego. Your ego doesn't even know all the way through who you are, because it can't. The ego is not a feeling entity. It seems like our mind and our ego does feel only because the connection within our body is instantaneous. It's light speed. And yet we don't know that a lot of our feelings come from our mind top down when the greater feeling of being is actually from inside out. Without any thinking, you are who you are. You don't need an explanation for who you are. And you don't need the ego to self-aggrandize who you are. And that is why I'm here. To illuminate that disconnect, which is fundamental, which is universal, and which can be transcended in a very real, practical, and pragmatic way. Because as you hopefully get the feeling about now, and as people around me know, Steve's not a mystical guy. He's a very real guy that lives a regular life within human society. 
And even though there's a lot of challenges that we're facing at the moment, I still love this world, this life, this person that I am, and humans in general. And yet I know it can be so much better. And that better is in repairing this disconnect and transcending it by feeling our way through life more than thinking our way through it. I'll leave it there for today because there's a lot of tangents to go on from here as far as explaining what we do with our mind, with this disconnect, what we're capable of, and how it feels on the other side when the disconnect has been repaired and the innate connection to a holistic sense of self is simply there. And how when you realize that deep enough, it's there and it won't go away because your being won't allow it because it feels content to be yourself. And that's different than happy. doesn't mean you're going to be happy all the time. Life's not about that. You're allowed to feel a full range of natural emotions. The key is they don't own you any longer than they need to be valid. And the base feeling of being alive is complete contentment when there's no challenge, no resistance. And our mind offers the most resistance. And our ego just doesn't make it easy. So I hope you enjoyed that. And to see you on the next one. Take care. Friends, if you'd like to support the podcast and support this guy, Steve Willat, in doing this full-time, it doesn't take much. Steve is here just to do this, primarily, and also just to eat, sleep, and interact with the other humans and other life on a day-to-day basis. I want nothing from this life that I don't have right now. And so any money I get in excess of that will always go back into helping in whatever way I'm able to contribute. And you can contribute to an account that I have set up at LibraPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, under the name Steve Alat, capital S-T-V-E, capital A-L-L-A-T. Or you can also find me on PayPal under my email address, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com, and at Stripe using the same email. If you have any questions, send me an email, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com. I would love to hear from you and uh, respond in kind. Take care.